Today's leadership, if you haven't thought about what kind of leader am I, now more than ever, you have to ask. If you've relied on traditional leadership, the way you've always done things, it's really time to question, is it working? You're listening to In The Hour with Jared Nichols and Lolly Daskal. So Lolly, obviously leadership is one of these topics that uh, you are a complete expert in. And um, I want us to start off this conversation today with, with this idea around the type of leadership that we need in today's day and age. And let me be more specific about that because uh, I really want to avoid as much as possible these ambiguous terms like, uh, you know, in today's day and age or in uncertainty and chaos, because we all talk about that. But I think for the most part, many leaders out there and people that talk about leadership, we've all become numb to what those things really mean. And at least at the uh, right now, at the time of, of this recording, we are still in this state of lockdown in some form or fashion and dealing with the pandemic that's really brought this question to light in a new way. We've been talking about, I know you've talked about with your clients for decades, uh, in my line of work, talking about the need to, to anticipate uh, change and disruption, and more importantly, influence the direction that the future goes in. These are all really important topics, but now, in light of our current situation, uh, the light is being shown on that again in a way that is much more urgent and less um, philosophical and uh, there's a bigger desire for action around that. So today, let's talk about the kind of leader that we need to see, traits that we need to see in a leader uh, to help navigate through not only our current condition, but to ensure that as new and continued disruptions and changes take place, we are thinking differently as leaders. We are making better decisions in how we view ourselves and our organizations and, uh, and how we just take real and meaningful action going forward. Wonderfully put. Today's leadership, if you haven't thought about what kind of leader am I, now more than ever, you have to ask. If you've relied on traditional leadership, the way you've always done things, it's really time to question, is it working? Yeah. And I know this is a very important question because I have all kinds of clients. I have clients who stick to the traditional leadership, which will talk about what that is. And there are those that have embraced the new way of doing leadership, meaning the new way of thinking about leaders. And what I have seen, and this is just, and I'm doing research on this because I think it's very, very important to highlight this. Those that have challenged the traditional leadership have done very, very well in crisis. Yeah. Those that have not are asking why am I not doing as well as I want to do? Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, again, I have to challenge my clients to rethink the way they've always done things. Now, for the traditional leader, let's talk about that. Let's give it a profile. Let's say what we're really talking about. I'm talking about the individual that embraces their power who's in an organization, who's all about control and command. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like in an organization? In an organization, it looks like this. And those that are in those companies, people that will recognize this immediately, right? If there is a few at the top 
who hoard all the information, make all the decisions, have all the conversations. There's no transparency. There's no clarity. They tell people what to do and how to do it. And you show up at work and you listen to a bunch of things that you have to do. But you're feeling like, am I really making an impact in this organization? Because I'm being told what to do and how to do it. But I was hired for all my talent and my strength. But that kind of leadership is very traditional. That's how it is. Man, woman in power. And it's a control and command. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So but I personally have always challenged that because it doesn't work at the end of the day especially now when when you have the climate of virtual teams, Mm -hmm. when you have the climate of we're not all sitting in the office, when before you could knock on the door and say, hey, get this done. You can't do that anymore. No, People now have more autonomy, right? They have more autonomy because they're working from home or they're more virtual than they've ever been. And so things have changed. And if you're not challenging your traditional leadership, you're being left behind. Exactly. And I think one thing that's important to point out or a question to answer is why does the traditional style of leadership as you described it not work? And the easy answer, or the, the most basic answer is that it doesn't match the context. It doesn't match the context that we live in anymore. So the old model of command and control, as you were pointing out, is this hoarding of information. That's a model that we've we've had for a couple thousand years, really. It's a model that says, Uh, The further up the ladder you go, we'll say education, so we're going to talk about information here. The further up the ladder you go and access to information, your ability to read, your ability to think, your ability to gain a degree so that you can pass that down and teach. It's the old university model, really, is to be able to pass that wisdom down. That's where real power was. And all the way up through most of the 20th century, that's the same model that we were operating on because information was still limited. In order for me to have access to certain kinds of information, whether it's in business, life, whatever, I had to go to a place that was the authority on that and earn a degree or earn some type of uh, clearance to get that information, which allowed me to move up that ladder. But we live in the information age and have been for so long that the idea that you can control information from the top is, one, completely disconnected from reality, but two... It's also, uh, when you think about controlling that and running everything from the top, it's, uh, it, it completely, it's, it's the ultimate picture of being disconnected. So I want to circle around on this because I think this is really important to, a point to make. When we talk about leadership, we look to leadership and say, if you're doing this in a certain way, you are negatively impacting your organization, you're out of touch. But something I always want to frame up here is that the command and control model is not just bad for the people below. It's, it's really bad for the people at the top, right? I mean, when you have an information-heavy environment and you have young people, old people, doesn't matter, that have access to this information and have so much talent and resources at their disposal, if an organization, if leadership at the top is trying to control and compartmentalize those people, then number one, uh, they're cutting their own legs off at the knees because there's so much intellectual capital inside of an organization today that if you try to control and minimize what people are able to do, you're missing valuable resources that could be uh, used and 
uh, had nothing but positive impact. Number two is that if you're at the very top of the organization and trying to make all those decisions, the burden and the stress and all that on your shoulders is really unfair. If you can outsource that and engage more people to take action and a sense of ownership uh, over the direction of the company, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not advocating holacracy, you know, this, this model that was popular for a while, but it's more of this create that environment where people are able to participate in the outcome and utilize their talents and resources in a way that can help solve some serious problems instead of assuming that because you're the person at the top, you and maybe your small circle of friends have all the answers. At the same time, I'm not saying there's a one-size-fits-all. There are times where command and control does need to be implemented. But when we're talking big picture and long term, I think you know we have to step back and say, what can I turn over? What kind of ownership, even if it's conceptual ownership, can I give to the people in my organization so that together we're solving big problems and anticipating change? And uh, you're giving people an opportunity to shine. So you've said a lot, and I want to unpack some of the things that you said, which I think is very important. Besides the age of information, I think of a leader is doing the traditional leadership of power, control, and command. What we experience, and I've seen this many times with my clients, the feedback that this individual gets, they're a micromanager leader. Yeah. They're too much in the weeds of other people's work. They're too much in the weeds of what other people are doing. And the truth is, if you think about leadership, a leader is about vision. A leader is about setting the bigger picture. Anything beyond that is a manager. That's not a leader. A manager gets into the weeds. A manager is more about get every single day the nuances. But a leader is someone who is above the fray, who looks at the whole living organism of their organization and thinks, how am I going to make this better? They're the ones that are motivators and inspirational human beings that take it out from the weeds and make it bigger. Mm-hmm. That, If that leader is that, right, and they're in power and they're controlling and commanding, They can't be everything. It's just not humanly possible. They drop the ball. And then you don't have an organization that is thriving. Mm -hmm. Crisis, you need someone to make fast decisions. Absolutely. But then collaborate. Then take it and give it to those that are talented. Give autonomy to others. And we can get into the nuances of what we really need to do as in a framework to survive. But, you know, I've always challenged the idea of leadership from the top and you're the only person that can, you know, that is um, talented enough and good enough to be the person that knows everything. And, you know, short of um, saying that's ridiculous, the thing is, think about it this way. Every single individual that's made it to the top, there was something that got them there. Mm -hmm. But once they get there, if they don't evolve and grow into the next level, they become stagnant and they become more of a manager than a leader. So I think it's very important to realize just because you're at the top doesn't mean you're the one that knows everything and you're the one that could be everything. And I think that's important to think about as we think about leadership today. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's uh, so there's this concept that I talk about uh, a lot when I'm um, 
if I'm if I'm speaking somewhere where I've written about this in in one of my books as well, is this real simple split between how we engage with the future. So I'll, I'll step back here and say that uh, every decision that we make, especially as leaders, really at an individual level, is all future oriented. Even if it's the next five minutes, the next five years, the next fifty years, every decision we're making is future oriented. We're thinking about that next thing, and so when we look at leadership and where we are and we look at our relationship to this idea we call the future, there are really two camps that people fall into. And this builds on what you just said, Lon. This is what reminded me of that, is that you have those who uh, have reached a certain place and they come into a state of panic, of chaos, of why is this not working anymore and really just questioning a lot of, of what's going on. And they're concerned about everything that they built, which is totally normal. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, all of us are that way. It's the idea of protecting the status quo. I mean, status quo is bad unless, unless you're in the status quo, then the status quo is great, right? That's the way that we, we look at things. But there are two camps that I would, that I really try to simplify this in. There's the camp that wants to protect and maintain, Right? Totally normal human drive. Protect and maintain what you've built. Because their relationship to this future is that it's this uncertain, unwieldy thing, and we have to constantly be on guard from it. Then there's this other camp. And this other camp is the leadership that I believe we need today. And that's this idea of grow and transform. And it's, it's like what you just said. If you are moving to a new level and you are not constantly looking to, hear, how am I going to grow and transform into this next stage? then you will be stuck in that place of stagnation. And your, your primary motivation for leadership is going to be to protect and maintain what you have, which then translates into this command and control from the top and ultimately dis, disassembles your organization. But if you were of the mindset of a leader to grow and transform, number one, you're able to recognize you don't have all the answers. You're constantly looking and growing, and you're trying to transform into that next thing, that next level that this moment is calling you to. Absolutely. It's interesting what you're talking about. I've heard this from some of my clients. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And that's status quo leadership. Yeah. I think because things are changing so quickly on a daily basis, if you're not fixing, growing, evolving, you're left behind. Yeah. I see with some of my clients. I have one client. I feel like they're stuck in 1982. And the thing is, he's like, well, we're making lots of money. I said, but you can't get the most talented people to join your organization. Right. And what what would you like? And he goes, well, at the end of the day, hey, there's profits. And I said, wouldn't it be great if you had profits and people? Mm-hmm. You had both. Can you imagine where you could be? And the thing is, it's it's I I don't want to say he's small minded, but I think that an individual that says if it ain't broke, let's not fix it is someone who's scared of the possibilities of what they can become. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that, that, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I like to say a lot, if it ain't broke, break it, you know, (laughs) it's kind of, it's, that's what I'm sure sure none of us, you know, we like to think it's like, Hey dude, I come on. No, somebody else had to say this too easy, you know? So maybe, but it's, if it ain't broke, break it. Yeah. And, uh, I do, you know, I always bounce back and forth between these two things because there's the practical and there's the aspirational. That aspirational is if it ain't broke, break it. Great. You know, 
Um, it's easy, you know, I've been listening to a lot of this lately about uh, the current discourse, and, and we don't have to jump into all this, but these debates about free speech and what's been going on in academia and, uh, you know, this, uh, and then how this is, tr- you know, trickling out into our, our current uh, conversation in, in, a, in a much bigger space where a lot of people are afraid to speak their mind because of this cancel culture and everything else we're living in. Really interesting when you dive into the roots of that. But um, one point that's been made over and over again that I really find fascinating is that it's easy to tear something down. It takes work to build something up. And right now, everybody's talking about tearing down, but nobody's coming back and saying, here's, here's how we're going to build up. Here's the hard work of building up. And so I do like to say, if it ain't broke, break it. But know that if you break it, you also have to fix it. So you have to be, you have to have the presence of mind and the clarity and real leadership to rebuild it. And that's vision. So let's talk about what you're saying, because I think it's very important that I'm, I'm a big, I always say, let's break it. But I like to do this in the chaos. I like to have discipline. In breaking, I'd like to have a framework of what we're going to do to build it back up. And that's how it first started. When I first started my own coaching and consulting company, I was thinking about if I'm going to break the traditional leadership, what is the what is what kind of coaching, what kind of leadership do we need in order to be sustainable in any kind of environment, not only for the next decade, but for decades and centuries to come? And that's why at the end of the day, looking at history, looking at science, psychology, philosophy, there was one that was sustainable for years and years and centuries. And that to me was leading from within. Mm-hmm. Only when you lead from within, and I want to talk about that and uh, what it means, right? What does lead from within mean? Only from leading from within, you can create the kind of future you want that you talk about, Jared, in this most prolific, profound way. <laughs> Thank you. And <laughs> I, I love the way you talk. You, you, you know, you're a futurist, but I'm about sustainability. How do we sustain today in order to become the best futurist? How do we break it down in order to build it up? But it has to start. That's why we complement each other so well is because I'm a big lead from within and you're a big like, well, let's create the future. But you need both. I think those are the bookends to great leadership because you have to have a foundation in order to build it into something magnificent for the future, in order to survive a crisis, in order to survive a pandemic, in order to survive any struggle that comes at you. So I think these bookends are very important. I 100% agree. I mean, you know, the world of foresight or futurists is one of those kind of blurry areas uh, that, uh, you know, the way I like to define this is that the future and thinking about the future is useless. If you cannot leverage it in the present, all of it has to do with present day action and what we're doing. So the sustainability and in and, and my belief and in the work that I do is very much in line with this is that you have to start with yourself. So leading from within is key. If you are constantly just looking outward and trying to connect dots and this and that without ever evaluating your own ideas, your beliefs, your narratives, you could be making really bad decisions. It happens all the time. So having the skills to anticipate change and build out, you know, complex scenarios that allow you to to influence public policy. Well, are those is that the legacy? Is that the thing that you're really trying to create or 
You know, uh, are you going to take the time to examine why you do what you do and what is it you truly believe and what truly motivates you, what's truly important, and then put that to tools and things that can help you and your organization truly grow and transform. That's leading from, from within. You know, the way I kind of view that is that you have to start here and realize, hey, I don't have it all figured out. That, by the way, was the was the biggest advantage that I had when I moved into this field, gosh, 12 years ago from my previous line of work. And I was in graduate school. And uh, when I realized how much I don't know and how much I will never know, that was the most liberating experience I've ever had. Because I can walk into any situation and go, look, you know, I don't have all the answers. But I still notice so many people still bullshit in front like, oh, I got to pretend like I got all the answers. And I can smell that a mile away. I'm like, come on, dude. So this is a safe little space here. You can go ahead and be honest. You don't know what you're doing. And that's okay. We'll figure this out, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. But Jared, lead from within is not saying you have all the answers. No, lead no, that's the opposite of it. It's curiosity. Exactly. Lead yeah. from within yeah. is asking questions. Lead from within is having a voice. Yeah. Lead from within is saying, I don't know. Right. You know, You're being let's honest. Let's talk about this together, right? It's about learning about self so you can serve others better. That's And right. I think that's the most important thing that people need to understand is that even though I have some answers today, something will come at me tomorrow that I have no clue how to think about it. So yeah. I need a to ask really great questions mm-hmm. and I need to be able to listen to very smart people around me in order to have more knowledge. You know, we joke about this every time we have a conversation, but I love to read and um, I read because I realize I don't know that much and I can always learn something new. And if I can learn something new today that I didn't know yesterday, can you imagine how much I'm evolving and growing every single day? Oh, yeah. But I want to talk about what we started to talk about. I think is very important. Let's circle back to what do we need today? What kind of leader do we need to become? And what would be some of the what would be in a framework like in this chaos? What disciplines do we need to have in order to succeed? Because I want people to be able to walk away from this conversation and say, I could do this. Yeah. If I do um, A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four, I know that things will change around me. And so I really want to go in that direction, if you don't mind, because I want people to be able to feel they have something that they can utilize, feel smarter about, and implement it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you kick us off on that? So... If I think about it, because I like to think about everything either in a process or in a framework. So if I think about any organization or any company or any business that anybody's in, Mm -hmm. I think that every manager, every leader, every boss, every CEO has to see their leadership as the kind of leadership that makes their business, makes their organization into a self-managed organization. But what does this mean? What does this mean? So I want to break it down into a couple of aspects at a very high level. And then what I would love, Jared, I would love to invite you to add to that and then dig deeper into each one of those. Is that okay? Okay. So the first thing, if you think of any organization, any institution, any company, this is across the board. It doesn't matter what you lead. You need to create a culture that is psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. 
So what does that mean? That means at a very high level, and we'll go into this deeper, but what does it mean? That means that people trust each other, that people feel that they can state their opinions freely with any, without any consequences. It needs to be safe to speak. So that's number one I would think about. Number two is there has to be transparency. There has to be transparency in leadership, communication, and anything that you do as a leader, because transparency creates clarity, right? Mm -hmm. The more transparency you have equal an authentic leader, then you have more clarity to be who you need to be in your role and responsibility. Another thing I'm thinking about that I think is very important in this framework, and each one adds, think of it as as um, stepping stones, right? The first one we talked about psychological safety. The second one is about, you know, transparency, which creates clarity. The third thing I think is very important is widespread delegation. That means that people can make decisions and it's coupled with autonomy. So widespread delegation coupled with autonomy. And we'll talk about what this means. I'm sure you have a lot to say, Jared. (laughs) The next one I'm thinking is we need to create ownership, right? This entrepreneurial spirit where people take responsibility and take accountability for what they do, how they do it, and they do it every day. They know that they are making an impact. And then I think it's important also, there's two more that I think are very important in this framework, is there's significant investment in individuals in every organization. Beyond the technical skills, beyond do this on the computer, create this process, is where as a leader, you are telling the individuals in your organization, you matter, you're important to me, and I'm investing your personal development, your leadership, whatever it is, I will invest in you. The thing about this is in all my organizations that I work in or with all my clients, I have created a program called Leaders of Leaders where we have master classes where anybody in the organization can take a communication course, a negotiation course. I offer all these master classes that people can say to themselves, I want to be better at this. They choose for themselves. It doesn't come from a performance review. It doesn't come from a feedback Every individual is smart enough to know what they need and they pick it for themselves. And the last thing in this framework, and then I'll let you speak about all of this, but the last thing is a shared purpose and a shared vision. If you want your organization to thrive, if you want to be successful as you want to be, this is the kind of leadership you need to have in your organization. And if you can do in this chaos that's happening, do this discipline, you will be successful. It's a game changer. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all of that. I, uh, well, what's interesting is you were explaining those. I really saw this as almost a circle instead of like a, I was writing them down, going down a line. But it's really a circle. They all reinforce each other. You know, the, the top thing of a culture that is psychologically safe. The, the interesting thing is that this idea, <clears throat> and I'm really glad that you define exactly what that is because – Right now, we are also in a larger context, a larger cultural discussion, or more like a cultural shouting match. There is this uh, lack of clarity and a need to redefine or define what what we mean when we say something. And so this idea that having a psychologically safe space 
what that is is that we are all free to speak and we are not afraid of retribution over you know things that are you know just the silliness that mo- makes most people hold back what they want to say because of fear of perceived or even real offense or retribution this is this is a very important thing so i think being bold enough to say we're we're not you know we all trust each other so this goes back down to um, you know the transparency you put transparency creates clarity i put off to the side here that which equals trust right you know when people trust each other they are able to be transparent we take each other as we are we're not expecting perfection we're expecting success this goes back to that idea of of not having it all figured out either if we're going to grow and transform what that means is that we are constantly in a state of learning and taking in new information, which if we have a transparency, a culture that is psychologically safe, then we are sharing and stretching and pushing each other to think differently and ask questions that we have not asked yet, which then creates that uh, widespread delegation autonomy because they have that shared sense of ownership. We have ownership over our roles and over the long-term direction of this organization. We're not getting caught in the weeds about, well, let's let's make sure we have this performance review or this this thing over here checked and this box done. Those things have their place. But when we talk about this idea of what kind of leadership and organization do we need for this time and beyond, this becomes this perfect circle uh, that you described. The shared purpose and vision is really the heartbeat in the center of all that, right? What is our vision, our image of the future? Because if you have a shared vision and a purpose, an image of the future, it is completely useless if you are not um, inspiring your people to take an active role in making it a reality. Bottom line, you have to have that. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit, I want to expand on the psychology of what you need to do in your culture when I talk about safety. What does it mean? It's not only about trust. But it's something else that I think is very, very important, especially today, that we have to teach um, everybody in our organization that failure is not fatal and that you can fail. This is a kind of environment where we trust you and you trust us that you can be who you need to be. And sometimes that means besides stating your opinion, is that you can fail, yeah. is that you've tried something and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Maybe from that failure, we've learned something and we're doing something much better right now. And so that's also very important to point out is that the culture has to feel safe enough to trust, to fail, and to speak your mind. So there's like nuances that are very, very important. When you have the traditional leadership, you can't speak your mind. You're scared to fail. You don't trust anybody. You're always looking over your back. You're always questioning what other people are doing because it's a silo organization. It's not a living, breathing organization where you're not self-managing. Everybody's looking to the top to wait until, you know, God speaks and then you do what you're told to do. And at the end of the day, that kind of environment, if it's always from the top, how do you make a difference? We want to wake up in the morning and do our work and know that we matter, know that we're important and that we are valuable. And so I think it behooves every single leader, anybody that is leading others to really think about this framework, or if you want to call it the ripple effect or the circle, 
are you creating a safe environment for those that you lead? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you something interesting. I'll tell you a little story that happened this week. Uh, one of my clients sent out a massive email to the organization, and he thought he was doing this great, wonderful thing. I'm going to be told I'm the best leader. He sent out this communication of what he wanted this organization to do. He didn't get one response. He didn't get one response. And he said, Lolly, I don't understand. What's with this organization? I lead thousands of people. Not one person can get, you know, say something in an email or pick up the phone and say how great I am. This is such a good idea. I said, A, they might not think it's a good idea. B, they don't feel that what they say they can trust the environment. Either it's going to be taken out of context or maybe what they're saying isn't good enough. And so this is a direct result of an unsafe culture. He did not want to hear what I had to say. No. But I said to him, proof is in the fact that you send something out and that you got no response. I have other organizations where, where if a CEO sends something out, he gets hundreds and hundreds of emails. And guess what? He has a dialogue. I said to my client, would you have a dialogue in any of the email? He goes, no, they have to do it my way. I said, exactly. It's not safe. And so he said, I said to him, don't we have something to think about? And he said, okay, next coaching session. But it was funny, but you know, there is results that happen when you have this power command control. You don't get what you want. Your intentions might be right, but the results are not even what you want. So it's time to rethink how you lead. Yeah. And I think that really reinforces the truth about what it means to be a leader. A leader is not a leader if nobody's following you. It's the differentiator between what you said early on in the conversation, being a leader and a manager. I could be a leader who manages by title, but nobody truly follows me. Like if the organization shut down tomorrow, would people follow me into a proverbial battle, right? No. If, uh, if you are a real leader, you have created a space where people look to you, they trust you, they know that you are there to serve them. Because any leader who has a big picture view, right, this goes into a... a to an area that I love to talk about a lot and is that the problem we have in our uh, Western world and especially in the United States of this short-term 90-day interval. Like our, our foresight goes for 90 days, which is ridiculous, which is what's gotten us into this situation we're in right now. But we could save that for another conversation. So, you know, for leaders, a leader who's going to truly take their organization into the future, come through this crisis, weather others, and start to influence and reshape the landscape that we're in, number one uh, is that they have to remember that it's not about them, that they're only a leader as long as they have people who follow them, who truly follow them. Number two is that if they're willing to sacrifice their next quarter century for their next quarter profits, they will be dead in the water. Uh, number three is that... Um, a constantly evolving and growing organization that has what you talked about here, this culture that is psychologically safe and transparent. The, the third thing that needs to happen within that is that you, you have to revisit how you define certain ideas to ensure that everybody is on the same page. Because definitions, words, meanings, 
Um, what I mean by that is when we talk about what it means to be innovative at this stage, we may be pushing the boundaries more and more people feel like, okay, we're in it, we're doing this. Well, once you've started to uh, to have this thing that's growing and building, this the idea of being more innovative has changed and you need to revisit that. So, so even your vision, you can have the big picture vision, but it in and of itself should be something that grows and adapts um, and anticipates where things are going. And we have to say, do we need to revisit this idea, redefine this? Otherwise, you run the risk of just becoming the status quo and some other group was going to come up and disrupt you. But the only way that you have what you're talking about is what we talked about to create an organization where there's this entrepreneurial spirit, where everybody feels that they have ownership. That's where innovation happens because they feel invested in the shared purpose. They feel invested in the vision. And it doesn't happen just because the leader says, go and innovate. Oh, it yeah, happens. Yeah. Individuals <laughs> feel, right, that they, they could leave their mark, that they can uh, leave their footprint in this organization. And I think that's very important to think about is that entrepreneurial spirit is very important to have in Fortune 500 companies, in small businesses, in or even in institutions. It's like, how can we evolve from what we are today and make it better? We can always be better. Again, let's go back to, let's break it. But let's break it in a way, in discipline, that we can build it up in a better way. And so I think it's very important that, yes, it needs to be safe. And yes, you could fail. And yes, you have autonomy. Yes, you could make decisions, but guess what? Because you're an owner, because you are taking the responsibility and the accountability needed. And that's why I say you are a leader. That's why when, you know, you always challenge me on that, or you have challenged me when I say every single person is a leader. And you, you said to me, well, if every single person is a leader, then who's the follower? And the thing is, it changes. Yeah. Sometimes leader, sometimes I'm the follower. But guess what? I'm always taking accountability and responsibility for what I do and how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I, and I agree. You know, it means that uh, we all should have the opportunity to lead at some point. That doesn't mean being the top person in charge of everything, obviously. But that comes with creating the environment that you talked about, that safe environment, transparent environment, the shared purpose and vision. You know, um, this idea of, of everyone being an entrepreneur or having that, I, I'm totally on board with that idea because the idea of being an entrepreneur and driving real innovation, those things are really sexy to talk about. And I know you've seen this too. So I'm going to throw this out here because I think that this is a message that's especially important for leaders of organizations. Uh, because we can say this and a lot of employees will, of course, jump on me like, yeah, totally. I totally want to be an entrepreneur in this organization. But what ends up happening over and over and over again is that when you are really going to be entrepreneurial or if there's only a subset of folks that are encouraging that way of living inside of an organization, no matter what size, you are going to bump up against the status quo, the protect and maintain. It's a guarantee unless at the very top. The person is genuinely trying to push a new kind of environment, which is rare. They exist, but it's rare. And I think we need to talk about this because it's so easy to just like, yeah, that's a sexy idea. That's great. Here's something I say, Lolly, and, and I want to see what you think about this. I love this idea of innovation. This is where I talk about real innovation to make the distinction between fake innovation. 
Real innovation is this. See how I define this. It's where you're changing the game completely. When, if most organizations really stopped and said, well, what does it really mean to be innovative? I think the vast majority of them would say, we don't want to be innovative because we're probably going to lose a lot of money, make a lot of mistakes and isolate ourselves. And it may not be pretty. There's way too much risk involved to truly be innovative, to truly change the game, not just to upgrade or put a little flower on it. Innovation is a risk. And only few organizations can do it. And it's not on the shoulders of one person. It's on an organization that embodies what you talked about here. This, I'm going to call this the circle, right? So if leaders take this message of, of encouraging entrepreneurship and real innovation in their organization, they as leaders have got to be self-aware enough to know that they could be making a huge mistake. When it comes to their short-term profits and all this, which is fine. In my mind, I think that's a great mistake to make. But you have to understand the risks and you have to be honest with yourselves. Otherwise, stop talking about wanting to do those things. Um, and if you're serious about it, create the environment to let people take that kind of ownership. Make it easier for them to contribute to the long-term uh, goals of the organization. Because a lot of people talk a great game, but very few actually back it up. So I want to jump in here because I think it's very important to really highlight what we said in the beginning that I want to circle back to. The kind of leadership that we are defining is where an individual decides, I want my organization, my company to be a self-managing organization. Mm -hmm. And then we listed like this, what you call the circle of success. Let's call it that. Yeah, right? it's all the your stuff. I just changed up the, the design. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing it for three decades a certain I'm, way, but Jared comes in and changes it yeah, all up. It's now a trapezoid. <laughs> so, let me uh, tell you a story. And it has to do with what is happening right now in the climate of what we're living in. My clients, I'll, I'll talk about one client in particular. Before the pandemic, they were one business. And they had a great company with a very agile leadership, flexible leadership, where they would listen to things. They were, had psychological safety, transparency, clarity. They really took my message of leading from within and creating a self-managed organization to heart. Yeah. But then the pandemic happened and I came in and I said, business is about to change and we need to really think about, we have great people, we have a great company, we have great products, but we're not selling the product that we've always sold. So what do we use? What do we turn into with these materials? And they didn't think of it as risk. They thought, okay, we have an opportunity to, there's a need out there. What do we have with our materials that we can use to become the innovation, the new company that helps the pandemic? And within three weeks, Jared, three weeks, they shifted. I can't talk about who they are because right. I signed all non-disclosure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were very famous company who were doing, selling a certain product very, very well. In three weeks, they were up and running in the same factory doing masks doing ventilators and using the same plastics, the same machinery, and they changed. Were we thinking about risk at the time? Absolutely not. What we were thinking about is innovation and need. Right. What is it right now that I can build that can help them right now? And there was a pivot. There was agility. There was flexibility. Why? And guess what? People spoke up. People were transparent. People had clarity. People had autonomy. People were entrepreneurial. All the things that we now are calling after three decades of calling it something else, we're calling it the circle of success. Um, 
then you're welcome. <laughs> thanks, Jared. Um, that's what how I see what we're talking about is that if you're the kind of leader that lives in the moment and looks what's happening around them and is able to pivot and be agile because you have this vibrant organization, you are successful. Yeah. This organization is so successful right now. That's what I'm talking about. So when we when you mention innovation is risk, everything is a risk. Oh yeah. And so I don't concentrate on that when I'm coaching my clients. I'm like, let's bring the best out of what we have to offer. And guess what? This organization is killing it. Yeah. So first of all, hats off to this organization, and it reinforces this idea that only there's very few that actually go the distance, right? When I say innovation is risk, what I mean is, hey, look, if you're serious about being innovated, understand that you've got to change a lot. You do take a lot of risks, but go for it. I would always encourage it. Like, do it. Change the game. Break it down, right? You know, so, so a couple of things. One is that I would imagine that this organization had already had a culture that allowed them to adapt quickly, which is a really important part. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Now, if they did, Awesome. If they didn't, then the second point also, so if they didn't, here, so here's the thing that I do want to say that ties into that is that it's awesome that they were in the right place at the right time and they were able to move. Outside of a, you know, crisis makes everybody innovative because you have no other choice. So number one, so let's remove ourselves from crisis because this crisis will pass. And this is what's really important for leaders to understand is that you cannot just be innovative in the middle of a crisis. All you are is reacting faster and there's a lot of serendipity involved because you have the right equipment and the transferable skills that can help you to really dominate that space. What would it be like in the midst of a normal or steady like pre-pandemic type of situation if you were thinking and operating the same way? This is where it gets down to the 2%. It's like, do you really want to push the envelope to try to change the game when there's no immediate crisis that everybody is being forced into that space to do? That's leadership. Good on you if you can pivot in the moment. That's needed. And hats off, I would never say like, oh, shame on it. No, awesome. Super thankful that that's happened. But when this starts to pass, do you go back to the status quo in protecting and maintaining what you have, waiting for the next crisis? Or do you say, we learned and we are going to constantly try to grow and transform. We're going to try to change the game, small pieces at a time, so that we are well out ahead of where we need to be. But more important than that, not just so that we can be ahead of change. This is really important. I think this is where a lot of people in the foresight of the futurist community get this wrong. It's so that you can drive and influence the future. You can drive and influence the conversation. You can raise the awareness level of how we need to be thinking beyond 90 days, how we can be thinking beyond next quarter's profits. That's where the real opportunity and that's what leadership is. That's what we need now. And that's what we need going forward. We've needed that for a long time. We lack it greatly, but here's the opportunity for those to say, okay, this isn't going to happen to us again. And we're going to take take a stand and be those who lead the way so that we have a different conversation. We have a much more expansive view of the future and we are actually driving and creating it. Okay. I heard what you had to say. And this is what I think about leadership. If you're not disrupting every single day, then you're not the visionary of your organization. So besides the crisis, besides the pandemic, Think about every single day as we move forward into the future, as a leader, the question you need to ask yourself is, what kind of disruptions am I making in this organization? If I'm not, 
then am I truly the visionary? Am yeah. I truly the person that could lead this where it needs to go? Because I always think of the, the world as ever changing. And if we don't keep changing with it, if we don't make these little tweaks all the time, I said earlier, we're left behind. So kudos to the organization that was able to pivot and bring the need that was needed. It doesn't mean that they're going to be staying this organization. They're going to go back to doing what they always do because that's their organization. That's yeah. their company. And they're very well known for that. But think about it this way. Any business that you have, anybody that's listening, a small business, big business, it doesn't matter if, if, even think about it this way. If you're a teacher, a manager, a boss, have a small company, a big company, the question to ask yourself all the time is, what am I doing different tomorrow than I did yesterday? That's a question we should constantly be asking because that's how we grow. That's yeah. how we evolve. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, you know, this, uh, this idea I like to talk about a lot is um, disruption is inevitable. So you should disrupt yourself because somebody else will do it. Find ways to disrupt yourself on a regular basis. You know, balance it, but the practical balance of that too is recognizing, yes, you do have things you have to protect and maintain. I totally get it. So do I. You know, it's easy to sit back and be like, yeah, let's just break it all down. But no, find that balance. And that balance is, is constantly looking out to say, how, do, how is what we see happening today? How might that impact the future in multiple possible scenarios? And then how do we take and make small incremental investments of time and energy and capital, small, in each of those possibilities so that if we start to see a certain type of future unfolding, number one, it's the kind that we want to see. And number two, we're already there. And we are now voices that are leading the conversation. You know, instead of sitting back and just going, well, we're going to wait and see what happens and wait for somebody else to act. Um, for anybody who wants a case study on this, I think they should check out uh, Royal Dutch Shell. Royal Dutch Shell has been one of the leaders in scenario plannings for like 40, 50 years. They are unbelievable. They have influenced our field in such a way um, that is just over the top. When you go and look at their history of utilizing scenarios and foresight, you see a pattern of people who anticipated OPEC were already in the game, moving things in a different direction while everybody else was suffering. They were thriving. They're one of my favorite, regardless of what you think about their industry or anything. I mean, I think they're a... Uh, a perfect example of an organization that knows how to stay ahead of change and really change the conversation. Absolutely. The only thing I want, thing I want to add to what you were talking about, and I wish I would have written it down, the three things that you said we need to invest in, invest in your people. I want to add that here. So not only invest in technology, not only invest, but invest in the individuals that you have, because when you do, they become loyal and they stay with you. And I, you bring out the best in them. And I, I have seen organizations that do invest and don't invest. And the ones that do invest, have, you know, their profit margins, there's a big difference. Yeah. People think there is a connection. There is definitely a connection. Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's a future conversation that we could have. You know, we can bring research and documentation and how that is if people don't think it is. But it there definitely does matter. Invest in your people. Oh, yeah. Because people at the end of the day are your biggest asset. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. So on that note, Lolly, what's what's the one thing you want to leave leave the audience with today? What's the one thing, what's the one th thing that if people walk away with nothing else, this is the one thing you hope they take from this conversation? 
Oh, it's very hard today about one thing. So I'm going to try to sum it up is that if you haven't challenged your leadership in a while, it's time to start challenging your leadership and ask yourself, what kind of leader am I and what kind of leader do I want to be? Yeah, I like that. You know, if I leave, the one thing I would hope folks walk away with from this conversation is realizing that if you're serious about uh, having a culture of innovation, having a culture of entrepreneurship that really pushes things, your one job is to create the environment for that to become a reality. Your one job is for you as the leader to create that environment. Think back to what's now Lolly's circle of leadership. <laughs> Think of that. It's that's that's it. That's all you have to do. Create that environment. Um, and you'll start to see some incredible things take place. Yes, it will be messy, but the rewards are going to be far greater than the risks. Absolutely. I think it's a great way to end the show today. So Lolly has always loved these conversations. Looking forward to the next one for sure. And uh, for those of you listening, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, I highly encourage you to do so. If you do not, that would be a poor judgment and show a lack of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so if you subscribe wherever you get your podcast, please pass this on to anybody that you think could really benefit from these conversations. And as always, we want to hear from you. So join the conversation, leave a comment, send us a message, uh, check us out, and, uh, and we will certainly respond and, and look forward to, to having you join us in our next conversation. Absolutely. As always, Jared, great and lively information and conversation. Definitely. Thank you for listening to In The Hour Podcast with Lolly Daskal and myself, Jared Nichols. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, I strongly encourage you to do that. And of course, if you know someone, friend, family, colleague who could benefit from this episode or from being a subscriber themselves, please pass this along. Also, leave your comments, your questions. We want to hear from you. We want to know what's on your mind and what you're thinking about in this time of change and, and what you want to hear more about. As always, thanks again for listening, and we look forward to being with you next week.